Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. Welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR. You're listening in on 8.55am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. One in five Australians experience chronic pain. Today on the show we have Dr Malcolm Hogg, the Pain Australia Director and Head of Pain Services at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Joining us for National Pain Week. Pain Australia is Australia's leading pain advocacy body working to improve the quality of life of people living with pain, their families and carers, and to minimise the social and economic burden of pain on individuals and the community. Thank you so much for for taking the time to to chat with us. Can you explain to our listeners um, what chronic pain is? How is it different to, I guess, ordinary pain that we might experience? So the... The body and the brain in particular has a process in place where it detects potential threat to the body. So it reverts this into a sensation of pain and that activates a process whereby you protect yourself as an organism. So that might include behaviour change, it might include improving blood flow to the area to, uh, to get tissue recovery and it tells the person that they need to uh, protect themselves. And we see it as a threat. So not only is there a sensation of pain, but there's also activation of other areas of the brain which tells people how to interpret these symptoms and also has an emotional aspect. So pain is not just a sensation, it's a multi-dimensional experience. Now for some people, the tissue might recover or there may be ongoing tissue damage that leads to pain that lasts longer. And we know that the subsequent changes to the brain and the memory that develops and the subsequent issues of losing confidence, losing condition, changing the mood can lead to this condition, uh, this sort of um, syndrome, so to speak, of someone suffering chronic pain. And that means that there are further changes than just the simple acute pain that we all experience at some point in our lives. And it means that we need to manage it differently. And that means not just relying on drugs, but also on strategies to reduce the memory of the pain, reduce the effect of on mood, and the deconditioning that can occur with someone who's suffering chronic pain. Great. And so what are some of the most common pain conditions that you see? So uh, there's a whole range of conditions that can lead to chronic pain. Um, we do group them, so to speak, uh, based on is there actual damage to the tissues and is it ongoing? And the most common one we see there are musculoskeletal conditions, including degenerative joint changes or uh, pain with major um, problems with the discs 
or other structures around the spine. Uh, a second group is where there's uh, a change to the nervous system itself, whether it be after a stroke or some nerve damage or just a sensitised nervous system associated with prolonged uh, pain and that might be a condition known or often referred to as fibromyalgia but it can also be things such as irritable bowel syndrome where there's high sensitivity of the nerves within the, within the bowel and headaches and migraines which often reflect nerve, the nerves around the head and in the brain, um, brain region that can be highly reactive and sensitive and contribute to pain. I mean, there's a third group which we look at are people who've got active cancer or are recovering from cancer or the treatment of cancer. And so we often refer to the larger group of people who have cancer or don't have cancer as, as type of pain uh, syndrome. Okay, so cancer can actually play um, quite a large role in, in chronic pain as it well. It can, and it's not just about having cancer, but a lot of people now are living with cancer or they're living with the consequences of cancer treatment. Yeah. So that might be that they've lost, uh, they've had major surgery or they've had radiotherapy or chemotherapy and that sensitises the nerves and can promote a memory, so to speak, of pain so that the cancer may be quiet or in, in remission or have gone, but their pain can remain. And so we still need to manage their pain. Okay, so I guess speaking of, um, I guess, cancer being a cause, what are some of the other most common causes of, of chronic pain? So if you look at it on a population basis, uh, musculoskeletal causes predominate, and so that is both back pain from discs, uh, from the muscles and other structures of the spine, uh, joint pain from arthritis in the hips and knee joints, and also the small joints of the hand in particular. And then we've got headache syndromes, so that's very common, both um, daily headache, migraines or reactive headaches. And then the, the third sort of group can relate to a lot of the other organs of the body. So that is visceral, what's called visceral pain syndrome. So that might relate to the bowel, to the organs of the pelvis. So associated with endometriosis or um, uterus, but also for men, prostate can be quite a, a painful issue for um, post-surgery, for example. Um, and then we have pain syndromes after forms of injury, whether that be injury to the spinal cord, injury to the nerves, injury to the limbs, where pain can remain. Um, and post-surgery, any type of operation could theoretically cause pain to remain in that region from the fact that you've had an injury due through operation. Okay, and what is the impact of chronic pain on an individual's life or on their family and carers as well? So part of the, the chronic pain experience is the impact. So it's not just the uh, sensation of pain, but it's the impact that that has on both their physical functioning and their fitness. They, they tend to become deconditioned. Uh, they're less able to engage in physical activity and, uh, and fitness uh, training. The second sort of impact is on how they interact uh, with society. So less likely to be employed or at maximum employment, they're less engaged with regards to their family and their social activity. And the third sort of big group of impact is on their their psychological health. They, depression is common. It's common to co-associate with 
pain. The risk of suicide is two to three times higher if someone has pain. And I'm of the view that there's a neurological basis for this. And it's common that anyone who has an acute pain injury often has a mood effect in the days and weeks after that injury. So if you have chronic pain, you're at much higher risk and probably about half people who suffer chronic pain have some form of mild you know, depression and that can have a major impact on them maintaining their function in society. It has a major impact on their, their family because of concerns about that suicide risk and uh, the mood disturbance and they're less engaged with regards to their recovery. Okay, so I guess when it comes to pain, the the pain happens or the pain ex- is experienced first and then the mental health, I guess, develops as a result of yep. of that. Yep. So it is common if you look at someone who has an injury who do, do not have depression before their injury that they have a, a higher rate of developing depression after the injury. So that is true. The second thing that, however, is also true is that those who have depression and then have an injury are more likely to develop chronic pain. So it's it's likely that there's shared mechanisms in the brain for both pain and depression so that they coexist and they're risk factors for each other, particularly for chronic pain. Um, I stress it's, it, there's a neurological basis for this. It's not well um, described or um, you know clearly identified, but there's lots of evidence that animals and others that if you give them a pain event they withdraw and they show evidence that they have some mood effects in the longer term so um, it's likely to be based on changes in the nerve pathways in the brain and the chemical balance Mm. in the brain so that if you have pain you're more at risk of depression but if you have depression you're more at risk of chronic pain. Is it just depression that I guess you typically see or do we also um, see uh, I guess, you know, anxiety or other different yep. um, mental health conditions as well as a result, I guess, yep. um, of the impact of, of the pain? Yep. So it, it, the depression is the most clearly identified aspect. It's the most clearly um, measured and assessed and researched. Um, anxiety is something a little bit more complex, uh, but there is some suggestions in experimental trials and in people who suffer anxiety that they have a different pain experience Um, and it's again likely neurological basis in that anxiety turns on the nervous system so that when you have a pain experience you have a higher pain event and you have greater impact of that pain if you've got an underlying anxiety disorder. It's not so clear if once you've got pain whether that increases your anxiety but there will be a social element to that. Pain leads to loss of confidence and loss of engagement and that can put you at risk of having anxiety in that social setting. With regards to other mental health uh, issues, it's not clear that there's any link with the psychotic disorders, um, a lot of the other um, concerns. and. It's, it's not clear that there's a link there between pain. So it's predominantly depression and to a secondary extent there's a, some association with anxiety disorders. Mm. Okay. And so how does pain differ across the lifespan of an individual? For example, 
Um, I assume the experience of someone developing chronic pain at a young age is very different to an elderly individual. Yep. So I think there's there's several aspects to that pain across the lifespan. We are recognising that chronic pain can exist in the younger people. And it has a slightly different impact because it has an impact on schooling and their education and their development, so to speak. Whereas in the older person, a lot of the impact is on their physical function and on their um, uh, you know, employment. And then in the very older person, it's about um, their risks of falls and other components of, of their life at that stage. We also know that the younger people in general tend to recover better from an acute pain event. So for example, if you get shingles uh, at a young, as a young person, say because you're having chemotherapy or other reasons, you're much more likely to recover from that than if you're an older person with an episode of shingles. So the nervous system adapts and recovers and compensates for an injury um, at a faster rate and a better way for the younger you are um, and that it takes longer and it's slower to recover if you're in the older age bracket. Mm, I guess it's um, it's similar to, I guess, um, the evidence that we have for mental health recovery as well in that sense that um, there is evidence similarly that shows that individuals who experience mental health, um, I guess, conditions earlier have uh, shown yep. a, a better rate of, of recovery, um, I guess, due to yep. that brain plasticity um, that's that's more present um, in a younger brain. Correct. Um, Correct. Yeah. But at the same time, they also have more memory. So that if you have one episode of pain in childhood, it's likely that you uh, put yourself at some risk of having a more prolonged episode of pain in adult life. So um, childhood survivors of cancer are more, have had chemotherapy or radiotherapy, for example, and they have a new injury as an adult many years later, they're likely to experience a higher pain event um, because they've got some memory in their system from their childhood pain experience. Mm. Um, so that is a, an issue that we have with the, the younger person who suffers from a pain, a significant pain event, that they are likely to have some repercussions later on in life. Yeah. Okay, so what, in terms of, I guess, thinking about treatment options, what are the, the typical treatment options and pain services for individuals um, with chronic pain? Yep. So uh, the treatment aspects are difficult because for many um, services it's been designed around someone having chronic pain and sort of like the end of the line. More of our emphasis now is on trying to get people early in their pain experience um, with proper education and strategies to reduce the risk of going from someone with acute pain to having chronic pain. So we're trying to get pathways to early access and to do some preventative work when we see somebody who may have risk factors with acute pain, say in hospital. Um, and that would include lots of pain education, giving uh, people the skills to understand their pain experience and to promote what we call top-down control or regulation, which is activating the brain, parts of the brain and their, their own brain's mechanisms to try to suppress pain, which we have, but often uh, deplete um, if we've had pain for some period of time. So that's the sort of first sort of big strategy. 
and that brings in some mindfulness strategies, some distraction and pacing strategies that we'll use both in the short-term acute setting but also for someone with chronic pain. What's a, I haven't, um, I guess I'm familiar with, yeah. with mindfulness. What's pacing? What's a pacing strategy? So pacing is essentially building tolerance to uh, physical activity uh, oh. through rather than overdoing a boom and bust. Yeah. Uh, it's actually pacing your activity to a point of pain tolerance and then stopping and resting and then coming back to that and, in, and slowly building up your fitness for um, physical activity uh, or pain-provoking activity so that you can both build from a physical point of view but also a neurological point of view, you're building tolerance to that stimulation or that pain experience. Mm. And over time, you will uh, get better at maintaining function so that you get less um, impairment from your pain. So for many people, they have pain, walking worsens their pain so they don't walk which means that they become deconditioned and then when they do have to walk or go to do some walking they get more pain and so that's a cycle we try to break that cycle by pacing their walking activity so that we increase their ability to walk Mm. going back to the treatment strategies a range obviously there's a range of medications we use predominantly they're aimed at someone with acute pain but we can extend them into uh, roles in people with chronic pain if they're appropriate. Uh, possibly more of them are directed towards the nerves and less so towards the standard pain relief drugs we use after surgery or acute pain such as opioids. But there are there is a role for opioids in that sort of setting. And then the third sort of big group of treatments are physical treatments. And this might include steroid injections, it might include uh, massage or physical activation programs where you strengthen muscles or uh, around joints and you recondition people's uh, physical uh, aspects. Occasionally surgery is used if there's a specific you know, pain condition, so if you've got a pain, painful arthritic joint, you may respond to a surgical management for that. And the, the last group are more controversial, but they, they include electrical stimulation systems where you put electricity either through the skin or under the skin to activate the nervous system to relieve pain. Yeah, so I guess going back to medication, you mentioned um, opioids and everything. Is there a lot of risk with pain medication, like in terms of side effects and the potential for individuals to become addicted to certain medications? So there is concern um, at a society level um, and obviously based in part by the American experience that there's potential to become dependent and in a smaller group of people that you can actually get overt addiction to uh, the strong opioid pain relief medications. With regards to its use in acute pain, it doesn't appear to be of major um, risk, um, although uh, there are some indicators where it might be of more concern and that's where there's significant psychological distress or there's a past history of someone who's had um, addiction issues and they have a new pain event. In the chronic setting, it's a bit harder because people with chronic pain commonly have mood disturbance and depression. Uh, they commonly have um, a lot of social uh, aspects to their condition and that that puts them likely at greater risk of having dependence on 
ongoing use of medications including opioids and there's a more there's a greater risk that yes someone can depend develop medication misuse uh, in that setting and that's why we find that they're partly uh, it finds it, it's harder for us to manage people on opioids in the longer term and there's more concern about using it longer term the second reason for that linked in there is that the body does become tolerant to the opioids the mechanism of someone having chronic pain are less responsive to opioids so at the time that they're more at risk of developing dependence and even addiction they're getting less benefit from the opioids so there's a tendency to escalate the dose to get to restore that benefit or to get more benefit mm -hmm. so these two factors play a part in why there's um, concern about using the strong opioids long term for someone with chronic pain it's not to say there's no role it's just to say it has to be well managed and it has to be defined what is the role and it should be for evidence of clear responsive condition rather than someone who may just have a memory-based or a nerve-based pain condition. Mm, I guess it makes more sense that the approach is holistic um, in yep. that sense so that individuals don't I guess rely on solely one way of managing the pain that they're experiencing. Correct. Yeah. Because pain is a multi-dimensional experience and if you're just treating the sensation of it you won't be treating the other aspects which are through the and, and the implications of someone having pain. Uh, and that's possibly where we've had some issues before. We treat everyone the same, whereas we should be treating them individualised but in a holistic manner. Um, acute pain, it's important to recognise that 80 or 90% of people with acute pain events get better. So the chronic pain is a subgroup. It's just that over our lifespan, their lifespan up to 20% of the population will develop a condition that has a, a longer-term chronic pain element to it. And of those, probably a fifth of those, which is sort of 3 to 5% of the population, will have significant disability or significant impairment associated with their chronic pain. How, just out of curiosity, how long does the pain have to be experienced, I guess, before it goes from being acute to chronic? Yep. So some of the changes that we see are happening quite quickly within hours of an acute pain event, but I suppose the permanency becomes more of a concern at sort of three to six months, and we often refer to that period as being a subacute or a persistent pain period, and then chronic pain is probably something after six months where there's some evidence of some longer-term changes to the pain system. But that doesn't mean that you can't reverse some of those changes. It just means that you need a different treatment um, rationale and a different treatment approach to try to wind down that memory and that sensitisation that's occurred in the pain system and to try to restore function and return the body back towards a more normal sort of pain state which would be preferably without pain or with minimal pain. <clears throat> yeah and um, we've obviously seen that there's a big stigma in relation to mental illness but is that stigma also present in the community in relation to pain and chronic pain? There is. Uh, the stigma is not just about pain, it's about the impact of the pain, it's about the secondary mental health condition that 
can occur or develop. Um, it's about the compensation system, some of the stigmas even going through to people who treat pain or treating pain with the medication. So the stigmas being put onto those on the medication. Um, it's important to realise that each person is different. Each person has their own story and their own unique experience that has led to them to that point. And so whenever I talk to people about pain, I often start in their childhood and then what happened and then what happened in early adult life and how has it all developed and changed you as a person to get them to that point. Um, some of the stigma comes from snapshots and some generalisation to say, well, compensation and bad back and on opioids, then I'm going to stigmatise them rather than understanding that that person got to that point through many, many years and multiple experiences that are often unrecognised uh, and underappreciated. Okay, so I guess just to... Um to, to finish up, thank you so much for, for speaking with us thus far. Um, what would be the first point of call for someone who believes that they may be experiencing um, acute or chronic pain? Yeah. So I think there's greater awareness in the health professions of these issues and the impact of pain and so that we have better pathways and identification patterns. Now, I think any good health professional will be aware of it, but in particular, uh, people have high points of contact with physiotherapists and general practitioners, but also the nurse practitioners within the general practice uh, or the community healthcare centres should have some understanding of these issues. And they should also know how to potentially refer to either a multidisciplinary pain management service or team, or for some people it's just a specialist working in this area who will then be able to activate uh, the relevant um, care plans um, and by that I mean um, a combining um, physical strategies with psychological or neurological strategies along with optimal medication approaches. Um, for most states and services there are um, associated pain services which have a chronic pain component so for our organisation we run clinics but we also do consults in hospitals, we see people in the emergency department we have a pathway that we take referrals from both general practice and other specialists, you know, clinicians. Fantastic. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the show to to speak with us um, yep. about about this issue. It's um, I, I really do appreciate you um, taking the time, Malcolm, out of yep. your out of your lunch break. So we really That's do fine. appreciate it. Um, so thanks. More information can be found on the Pain Australia website, and there there will be a directory there. Um, the other resource we use is the Australian Pain Society, which has a, a facility directory of of clinicians and major pain services. Phenomenal. When we pop up the um, the podcast for for the show we'll be sure to include those oh, those links great. as well you can find more episodes of brainwaves at our website brainwaves.org.au and on the 3cr website that's 3cr.org.au slash brainwaves we'll be back next wednesday at 5 p.m for another episode stay tuned for renegade economists you've been listening to a 3cr podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3cr in melbourne australia for more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.